everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, as always, Kerry Parker, and we've got another news show for you this week. I've been trying really hard to get some interviews lined up, but the people I've been talking to lately have been all tied up. So I apologize for that. I will try very hard to get you one next week. Uh, but in the meantime, we've still got plenty of news to cover. So um, today we're going to talk about uh, how, if you recall, I talked about this uh, a while back when it was revealed that uh, many cell phone companies in the United States were actually turning around and reselling your location data to others, and that because of this and all the third parties that it changed hands with, um, it was actually quite easy for somebody to get a hold of your location data for just a few hundred bucks. Uh, they were caught, they apologized, they said they were going to stop, and I've got an update on where things stand with that. Uh, also, San Francisco became the first city in the United States to ban facial recognition by police, or actually by the government in any way. That's an interesting story, and I think uh, a landmark case, we'll talk about that. I'm going to talk to you about another story uh, where many popular games have been found to share all sorts of data with third parties, and advertisers in particular. And many of them aren't even aware aren't even aware that they're doing it. I'll explain what that means in a minute. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, yet another article about how Google tracks what you do. And we've discussed this probably uh, a while back as well. But Google is tracking what you purchase, and it's how it's doing it is interesting and something you should be aware of. And uh, that will lead into our tip of the week. So let's get to the news. <laughs> last year it was discovered that the big the four large remaining cellular characters in the United States, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and T-Mobile, were caught basically reselling your cell phone location data uh, to third parties, uh, some of which were there to do things for you, for your benefit, and but many others were there for advertisers. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the loosey-goosey way that they did it, uh, this information actually became available to honestly, just about anybody who wanted to pay the price. So um, just read an article from Apple Insider. Being a Mac guy, I tend to read these out, <laughs> read a lot of the Apple blogs. Um, and it talks about, uh, uh, gives an update on this, um, thanks to the FCC. So um, let me just read from this article from Apple Insider. On Thursday, FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel issued a statement on an ongoing investigation into the sale of real-time geolocation data by AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile, and Verizon, calling out both the companies and the commission for lack of transparency on the matter, reports TechCrunch. Quote, the FCC has been totally silent about press reports that for a few hundred dollars, shady middlemen can sell your location within a few hundred meters based on your wireless phone data, she wrote. That's unacceptable, unquote. Last year, reports from various media outlets detailed a concerning industry-wide trend that saw telecoms profiting from the sale of subscriber location data to aggregation firms. The third parties acted as middlemen, selling the acquired information to a range of buyers, including tracking services without the consent from users or originating carriers. For example, a report from the New York Times published in May 2018 found law enforcement officers leveraging a location tracking tool from Securus Technologies to tar target suspects, effectively bypassing a legal warrant process. Other reports, like an expose from Motherboard, saw customer data purchased and used by bounty hunters. Pressured by calls to action from the public, including a recent class action lawsuit and lawmakers like Senator Ron Wyden, 
The carriers on multiple occasions vowed to end geolocation data sales. Little has been heard from the companies beyond assurances that the controversial programs would soon come to an end. With that as a backdrop, Rosenworcel in May sent letters to the carriers requesting a status update on their respective location-based services policies. The commissioner subsequently published letters of response as an attachment to her statement on Thursday. And then, uh, so basically, she's got responses here from each of the four carriers, and this is kind of the summary uh, from each of those carriers. So AT&T said... um, as of March 2019, AT&T stopped sharing any AT&T customer location data with location aggregators and LBS providers. Uh, LBS would be location-based services. You'll hear that a couple times here. Uh, then Sprint. Sprint's answer uh, was Sprint notes a similar drawdown due for completion on May 31st, 2019, with two exception exceptions. LBS data will continue to be doled out to a provider of roadside assistance for Sprint customers and a provider that, quote, facilitates compliance with state requirements for a lottery that funds state government, unquote. I have no idea what that would be or why they would need location information. But uh, anyway, the point is, uh, for this one, right, there are some services where it makes sense that location data would be important. Obviously, roadside assistance would be one, you know, helping to figure out where you are. Uh, So that was obviously something that was done for the benefit of their customers. Uh, but anyway, that, uh, part of the problem here was that this data was just not well-governed or well-tracked so that they know exactly where it was going and didn't keep it from getting too far out of hand uh, to other people they didn't know about. Anyway, so T-Mobile's response. T-Mobile ceased all service provider access to location data in February 2nd, 2019, and terminated LBS contracts with location aggregators on March 9th, 2018. Like AT&T, T-Mobile phased out the program over a period of months, meeting a deadline promised by CEO John Legere in January. And finally, the Verizon one. Verizon was the quickest to act and cut ties with location aggregators in November 2018 after committing to halt the program in June of that year. The company continued to provide data to uh, to four roadside assistance firms, but those agreements expired at the end of March 2019. Uh, and then the article finally wraps up, says, In any case, it appears that the controversial LBS programs are, for the most part, a thing of the past, at least for now. So what I'd like to draw your attention to here is not just that this is happening, but it was happening for a long time and until they basically got caught and got called out, it didn't stop. And so who knows what other kind of programs are out there doing this because we have no laws around this stuff. We have no regulations. This stuff, it's a wild west. Anything goes. Um, And until we come up with some regulations and some transparency laws uh, about what's being done with our data, including very sensitive information like location data, you might not think it's that sensitive, but if, if I could track and draw on a map every place you've been every day for the last five years, what, what might that show me? Uh, do you, you know, do you have a mistress? Do you, you know, go gambling? Do you go, you know, drinking when you're not supposed to? Do you, you know, I, I don't know. There are things that we do that we would like to have private and not all of them bad things that they're just secrets. They're our lives. It's our privacy. We, it should not be made public. So anyway, get off the soapbox a little bit, <laughs> move, move on to, uh, number two, uh, story number two. And this is, uh, San Francisco became the first city in the United States to ban facial recognition technology, uh, for use by local government. And let me, the EFF had an article on this. Of course, you'd know they would be following this very closely. And I've actually been trying really hard to get somebody from EFF on the show, uh, to talk about this, and they've been so busy with all these uh, court cases and things, I, I don't think they've had time. So hopefully someday. But in the meantime, let me just keep you up to date on what's going on, and I'll read this article, a very short article from them about what just happened in San Francisco. From the article, uh, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors voted today by 8 to 1 to make San Francisco the first major city in the United States to ban government use of facial surveillance technology. 
This historic measure applies to all city departments. The Stop Secret Surveillance Ordinance also takes an important step towards ensuring a more informed and democratic process before the San Francisco Police Police Department and other uh, city agencies may acquire other kinds of surveillance technologies. Face recognition technology is a particularly pernicious form of surveillance given its disparate propensity to misidentify women and people of color. However, even if those failures were addressed, we are at a precipice where this technology could soon be used to track people in real time. This would place entire communities of law-abiding residents in a perpetual lineup as they attend worship, spend time with romantic partners, attend protests, or simply go about their daily lives. It is encouraging to see San Francisco take this proactive step in anticipating the surveillance problems on the horizon and heading them off in advance. This is far easier than trying to put the proverbial genie back in the bottle after it causes harm. Now, speaking of causing harm, um, well, there was another very disturbing thing that I saw on Twitter the other day from the BBC. um, And the UK has been, honestly, at the forefront of camera-based surveillance. They've got cameras everywhere. Uh, it's caused quite quite the ruckus, and uh, this particular case was I found disturbing. So the the East London Police were doing a trial of facial recognition software, and to do this, and they advertised this ahead of time. They put a big police van uh, in the middle of a high pedestrian traffic area with uh, looked like I don't know three or four cameras on it, and so basically what this thing was doing was scanning all the people walking by. And what they were looking for was anybody on a watch list. So they were actually trying to find uh, suspected criminals, um, people that they were on the lookout for, just happened to pass by this van. Uh, They somehow publicized this. I think it was pretty obvious on the side of the van what it was. Uh, And so this guy that was walking, just walking down the street, doing his own thing. It was a cold day. The people had coats and jackets on. Um. As he was walking up towards his van, somebody walking the other way apparently said, hey, they're doing this facial recognition scan thing up there. And just let him know as he's walking up to this van. And so this guy didn't want his face to be recognized. So he took his his coat with a kind of a big collar and zipped it all the way up. And so it kind of covered his face, right? So you know, like you would on a cold day anyway, kind of like a, um, a scarf or whatever, but, you know, the, those kind of tall neck jackets that you zip all the way up kind of over your nose. And they had a hat on. So... The cops saw him do this, saw him basically deliberately cover his face as he walked up to this thing, and immediately pulled him over. So they took this guy over, made him pull down his thing, took his picture against his will. Uh, He was complaining that he did not want to be part of this facial recognition program. And uh, the little video I saw that was kind of detailing what was going on had video of of this happening, and the guy being detained by the police and he was obviously not happy about it um so he was already you know he was kind of arguing with him he wasn't pushing or shoving or anything but he was like hey you know if i want to cover my face i want to cover my face i don't you know it's my i don't have to submit to this and so then it cuts away to this person talking to one of the cops and said you know what was your suspicion here you know basically what was your reason for pulling this guy over and the cop said and you can hear him say this. He says, the fact that he's walked past clearly masking his face from recognition, it gives us grounds to stop and verify. So basically, because this guy didn't want to be part of this facial recognition trial and didn't feel and felt like he was, his privacy was violated, he zipped up his thing to cover his face as he walked by this camera. Because he didn't want to participate in this, the cops basically said, That's, that looks guilty. That looks suspicious. And they pulled him over. And so, and because this guy 
basically argued with him and was not happy about this, they gave him a 90-pound fine, which is about 115 bucks uh, U.S., uh, basically for disorderly conduct. Oh, gosh. Uh, so, you know, that's that's just wrong. And I, I can't imagine they're going to win too many hearts and minds in the U.K. by doing that sort of thing either. either. Uh, supposedly, they did make three arrests that day, so the three people, even despite the fact that this facial thing was going on, walked right by and were on a watch list. And I didn't, the, the, the little short video clip with subtitles didn't have details on, you know, what these guys were arrested for. I seem to recall it from somewhere else too. And I even think that two of the three people were let go. I, uh, I'd have to look that up. It's not important to be honest. The real thing here is that we as citizens need to fight back on these, on this, and we need to have a say and whether or not we believe this is a good thing. Um, obviously, you can tell I don't believe it's a good thing, but we need to have the, have the debate. And uh, as citizens, it's our government. They work for us. And if we as citizens decide that that's not cool or that we want to be able to opt out, uh, we should be able to at least have that debate. So anyway, kudos to San Francisco for uh, taking a lead on this. It's actually not passed yet, but it um, should be a veto-proof minority, even if for some reason the mayor uh, vetoes the bill. And it's, you know... This is the this this is where we are now. This is the age we're living in, where we have to consider these things. All right. Next up, I read an article on Nine to Five Mac, another Mac blog site that I that I like actually, and it quoted a lot of stuff liberally from a much longer piece from Vox Vox dot com uh, about how many popular games are sharing a lot of information with a lot of third parties, uh, and to the point where even the game manufacturers aren't quite aware of what's going on. And so certainly the privacy policies are not clear about what's going on either. So I'm going to read, um, from this article from nine to five Mac, and it quotes liberally from Vox. So, um, I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Uh, Vox did the original article. Um, and so if you want to read that, you're welcome to, to, to look at go to vox.com and find this article and then, but let me just kind of read and just know that some of this is from Vox and some of that some of this is quoted from Vox and some of this is from nine to five Mac in their summary. So it says the following, a range of studies have shown that popular games are sending data to multiple third party entities. And even the developers concerned may not know what data is being sent to whom angry birds, for example, knowingly sends advertising data to 43 entities, but developer Rovio turned out to be unaware of the additional data sent through third party SDKs. And we've talked about this before. SDK is a software development kit. And I'm going to, when we, when I get done with the article, I'll tell you a little bit more about what those are and why that's important. A lengthy Vox piece summarized the problem. Almost every app on your phone is full of third-party advertising intermediaries. At a minimum, ad software owned by Facebook or Twitter or Google, but often a couple dozen other companies you have, haven't even heard of as well. The way mobile games collect information about their users and details of what type of information they're collecting remains incredibly opaque. To some extent, Rovio and its peers may not even know exactly what they're collecting about their users or how the data is being exploited, thanks to the way that software has evolved in the smartphone era. Mobile games are full of other companies' code, a more efficient way of creating something cheap and functional and cute than building it from scratch. Although the data captured by the popular games is said to be anonymized, that isn't necessarily true in practice. A recent New York Times investigation found that... it's shockingly easy to de-anonymize and that hundreds of apps collect anonymous real-time data that needs only the slimmest additional context clues to tie to an individual person. For example, the phone goes to and from this house and this law office every day, or this house and this fourth grade classroom. 
Rovio was given as an example of a developer which aims to be transparent about the data it captures, but was unaware of ad-related SDKs in its code. A spokesperson for Rovio tells Vox that Rovio games use only the resettable advertising IDs provided by Apple and Google, and doesn't include third-party advertiser software development kits. But the recent Berkeley study said otherwise. I asked Reardon, I guess this is taken out of context, so Reardon maybe, I think it's from Rovio, Maybe a developer at Rovio. I asked Reardon to double-check, and he sifts through the software code of the latest version of Angry Birds' flagship app. Just as before, he finds several third-party software development kits, including those for Facebook and Vungle. I've never heard of Vungle. I assume it's an ad company. When I asked Rovio again, a spokesperson revises. The company has, quote, always preferred, unquote, to use more transparent server-to-server connections rather than include third-party software development kits directly in their games. But that's, quote, not an option that is always available nor possible, unquote. To be fair, most data captured by apps is used for perfectly innocuous purposes like serving ads tailored to your interests and helping developers understand which app features are most popular. It's possible to get carried away with scare stories here. At the same time, it's absolutely fair to say that current data capture practices are far from transparent and that some of the data uh, snaffled, that's a new word, and some of the data snaffled by popular games could be misused by a developer or hacker if it wished to do so. Best practices is always to minimize data capture in order to reduce the risk of either inadvertent disclosure or deliberate abuse. Okay, so that's the end of the kind of hybrid article there. And it's important to realize that when you're downloading an app from wherever, and this includes your computer too, by the way, it's very common practice today. And I can tell you as a software engineer, it's a maddening practice, but it's, it's basically about not reinventing the wheel. So if somebody invents, you know, a cool way, like a shopping cart, think of the old shopping cart. When you went to a web and you wanted to buy something and you clicked, I put this on my shopping cart. And eventually there's a little icon up in the corner that lists the number of things in your cart. And eventually you want to check out that whole shopping cart concept became kind of the standard you know, web digital metaphor for how you buy things online. And because of that, nobody, you know, instead of every single site that wants to sell something, reinventing the whole shopping cart technology, companies came along and said, hey, if you want to include this little thing in your website, we do shopping cart stuff. In fact, we handle payment. We handle collecting information about shipping and doing all this stuff for you. All you have to do is include our little software on your website and uh, you'll get this stuff for free. Here, you know, pay us this ongoing service fee, and and we will do this service for you, so you don't have to. And that is an example of how this stuff works. So, you know, in a game, who knows what that might be? Maybe it's a way of um, collecting user payments. Maybe it's a way of gathering user feedback when you want them to rate the the app. You know, anything that's kind of a common some, something that might you you might want to do behind the scenes, but you know, uh, with all games. And this could be other stuff like how you draw stuff on the screen, how you show you know 3D perspective angles on something. Um, there's all sorts of these software libraries that somebody's come along and said, "Hey, no reason for you to do that again. We've done it. We've done it well, um, and we'll sell it to you." And so they they buy these things and they kind of the software that they sell you is actually kind of this patchwork quilt of stuff that is written by the app makers themselves and probably a whole bunch of stuff written by somebody else. And what's in that code that they get from other people is not always clear. And what's clear here is that Rovio was doing it as well for angry birds and not even realizing that they were including it. Um, and probably even less so understanding exactly what those software libraries do. They may be doing other things with, with uh, your data and it's obvious that they are. That's what this basically, that's exactly what this article is saying. Uh, is that these apps include all these other third-party SDKs or software development kits. Um, and while they do the one thing they you know 
are supposed to do, who knows what else they are doing, including collecting data from, uh, from their users and sending it off to God knows where. So, uh, anyway, coming back, coming back around, my point is that unfortunately today, the way the software works is, you know, you can kind of trust who you're buying it from and hope that their privacy policies and stuff make sense. But you do have to realize that it's possible that that software is actually built upon little reusable widgets, software widgets from other companies that have other, other interests and other goals, and they may not even be fully aware of what that software is doing. Uh, that's kind of where we are today, unfortunately. Um, what's the takeaway other than being aware of that? There's not much you can do about it. It is kind of the way things are. So all you can do is, again, maybe back to regulation. If we ever had some regulation around this stuff, wouldn't matter where it came from. All those, all those companies creating these software widgets and SDKs would be subject to the same laws. Uh, so maybe that would be the, you know, the thing that governs, you know, how this stuff works and the transparency around it. But again, we don't have that yet. All right. Last up, uh, yet another article, unfortunately, about how Google is tracking you. Of course, so you could just as well substitute Amazon or Apple or Facebook. Um, it seems like every day we're finding something. Of course, I tend to believe Apple's doing a little better job than others, but nevertheless, I'm sure it happens. Uh, and this one, this one caught my eye because it reminded me of, another, of a story um, from a couple of years ago that I wanted to pull in as well. Um, and it's something you know you might not be thinking about, and so I just wanted to call your attention to it. And then we'll go to the tip of the week where I can tell you uh, at least somewhat what you can what you can do about it. Okay, so this is from Engadget, um, another great blog, technical uh, tech blog, and uh, it goes like this. As we become ever more aware about the data companies are tracking about us, we're even more concerned about how they're using it. During I.O. 2019, uh, I.O. is Google's annual developer conference, uh, Google highlighted efforts to streamline the way people can view and manage the data stores about their activities. But a CNBC report points out one oddly designed page that isn't as easy to access or use. Labeled purchases and available at myaccount.google.com slash purchases, it's a sorted log, not <laughs> sorted, not sorted, but you might could be both. It's a sorted log of digital and physical things you've bought that Google's automated scans picked up from receipts sent to your Gmail inbox. In a statement to CNBC, Google confirmed that the page is only visible to the user and, quote, you can delete this information at any time. We don't use any information from your Gmail messages to serve you ads, and that includes the email receipts and confirmations shown on the purchase page, unquote. All right, so I got to stop right there. So if they're not using this data, why are they keeping it? Okay, anyway, back to the article. Still, it's a lot of information that dates back years and highlights exactly how much Google can access, even when it's being used for you, automatically highlighting cards for assistant, uh, personal info and search, or direction in Google Maps. Also, while you can delete the entries, it lacks the ability recently announced for location history to eliminate info beyond a certain time period or any kind of a bulk delete button at all. You can turn off this type of tracking, according to Google, but there's no link to the controls from this page. The company told CNBC it's looking for a simplifying the settings, and that seems to be the right move. Okay, so that's that's from the one article. And then this brought up something that actually disturbed me more. Uh, this is from almost exactly two years ago from the Washington Post, and I probably talked about it at some point. But uh, let me re- so let me read this article from the Washington Post. Google, and actually, I think that's from almost exactly two years ago, because again, I think this was an announcement at the Google I.O. conference, which tends to, it's an annual thing. It's usually held in May. Uh, so I think they announced this capability 
uh, two years ago, and that's what uh, spawned this article. Google has begun, of course, it's two years ago. Google has begun using billions of credit card transaction records to prove that its online ads are prompting people to make purchases, even when they happen offline in brick-and-mortar stores, the company said Tuesday. The advance allows Google to determine how many sales have been generated by digital ad campaigns, a goal the industry insiders have long described as the holy grail of online advertising. But the announcement also renewed long-standing privacy complaints about how the company uses personal information. To power its multi-billion dollar advertising juggernaut, Google already analyzes, analyzes users' web browsing, search history, and geographic location, locations using data from popular Google-owned apps like YouTube, Gmail, Google Maps, and Google Play Store. All that information is tied to the real identities of users when they log into Google services. The new credit card data enables the tech giant to connect these digital trails to real-world purchase records in a far more extensive way than was possible before. But in doing so, Google is yet again treading in territory that consumers may consider too intimate and potentially sensitive. Privacy advocates say few, said few people understand that their purchases are being analyzed in this way and could feel uneasy. That's putting it mildly, despite assurances from Google that it has taken steps to protect the personal information of its users. Google also declined to detail how the new system works or what companies are analyzing records of credit and debit cards on Google's behalf. Google, which saw a $79 billion in revenue last year, and of course, this, again, that would have been 2016 by this article, said it would not handle the records directly, but it's that its undisclosed partner companies had access to 70% of transactions for credit cards and debit cards in the United States. That's the end of the article. Listen to that again. Set, they have access, their partner companies that they're working with have access to 70% of the transactions of credit card and debit cards in the United States. That was two years ago. So I did this. <laughs> I went to, uh, let me repeat that website again. It's account or myaccount.google.com slash purchases. And I did this for myself and I thought, you know, I'm pretty good about this stuff. I should be pretty clean here. And I saw there was a lot of stuff in there. Uh, and, and then I realized what happened is that I keep a separate account for most of my purchases, um, and it's not Google. Uh, so if my kind of public-facing stuff, I almost always use Google. But there was at least one exception to that, and that was my Apple ID. For whatever reason, when I set up my Apple ID, um, I had the confirmations go to my Gmail account. And so everything I have ever bought through the Apple store, they know about. And I was first like, how did they? Oh, and it, came, and it dawned on me that, like this article says, they're getting it from my Gmail account. So, you know, people think, oh, my email isn't that important. I don't care if someone reads what I'm, you know, sending a grocery list to my wife or whatever. But you also got to realize there's a lot of really personal information in your email because think of all the confirmation, you know, doctor's appointments um, and, you know, receipts for things that you buy online, travel stuff, all these receipts and notifications and things that you get online. That's all some really personal data about you. And you don't think twice about it, but. All these things are basically there to be mined by companies like Google. So what can you do about it? That leads us to our tip of the week. And unfortunately, it's it's not great. Um, but if you go, first of all, basic tip of the week, I just go. Go to, go to this website just to see what's there uh, and see if you're surprised like I was. Uh, again, my account, all one word, all together, myaccount.google.com slash purchases. Just go to that page and see what's there. Um, if you're like me, you will be surprised. And it goes back forever. Uh, I've been a Google uh, Mail user for basically since the service came out, which was, I don't know, 15 years or more ago. Uh, and it had everything. 
because <laughs> it has all those emails. So take a look at that. Now, here's the problem. You can delete anything you want from this list. You have to delete it one at a time. And there's not a nice little X thing next to things where you can just click XXXXXX. You have to open each one and find the thing that says delete, which is too much of a pain in the butt. No one's ever going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So I'm really hoping at some point soon that Google will allow you to, uh, first of all, like the location data and some of the other app activity data, allow you to say, okay, anything older than three months or 18 months, I want you to automatically delete and just set that and forget it. Now, Google is usually good about putting some settings somewhere where you can turn these kind of things off or the way Google likes to phrase it, to pause them uh, in the optimistic hope that you will eventually unpause them, I guess. There's no, it doesn't, it's not called stop, it's called pause. Um, however, if you, if you pause these things, presumably they will stay paused unless you change, uh, unless you change it otherwise. But I went looking and this, art, this article says supposedly you could do it, but I, I followed the link it talked about. I could find nothing there about how to set this. I can see my purchase history. I can't find any setting, uh, in my Google, uh, account settings to stop it from doing this. So hopefully that will come soon. So my tip of the week, unfortunately is more informative, uh, and awareness than it is about control. Uh, sadly, uh, if they, if, and when they come along and give you that option, I will certainly report about it and let you know. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. I very much appreciate it. Hopefully you're learning things along the way and passing this along to your friends and family. Uh, again, the more, the more of us follow these kind of things and the more we're aware of these things, the safer we will all be. If you get the chance, I'd love to get a review. Go and uh, drop a five-star review or, of course, be honest, <laughs> whatever where, whatever you think it should be. But go to iTunes and uh, or whatever your podcast app uh, allows and drop a nice review on, on the podcast. I would very much appreciate that. Same goes for the book on Amazon.com. Uh, I'd love to get some more reviews there as well. Thanks again to all of you who have already done so. I very, very much appreciate that. Next week, I will try very, very hard to get an interview lined up for you. Uh, if not, I'm sure though, unfortunately, will be plenty to talk about in the news anyway. It's um, job security. <laughs> this stuff's not going away anytime soon, um, unfortunately. So anyway, that's it. That'll wrap up our show this week. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, until next week, stay safe out there, everybody. And don't get caught with your garbage down. <laughs>